And it's a pleasure to be here again. And I've learned some new things today, as I often do when I come here. First, I've learned that the old green is now blue. For those of you who are liturgical experts, you would know that the season of Trinity normally has green cloth on the holy table, and we instead have blue lighting everywhere to create the atmosphere. So uh, blue is the old green. Second thing is that words don't always mean what we think they do. So when Matt says repeatedly, unbelievable, we know actually it's really believable. (laughs) 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 He believes that anyway. (laughs) And the third thing is I can see uh, here, and I'm not sure how it's going online, but I can see that there are numbers of people here who have been getting in practice for when England score their first goal this afternoon. And if you haven't yet learned the liberty of doing that, either when England score or in worship, try it. It's a really good physical feeling, actually, to do that in praise of someone. And surely we have someone who's worthy of our praise to do that for. Far greater than any England team could ever be. Okay, so a little bit of source criticism to start with. Who said this? It's been a tough night. We're all reminded of what the most important thing in life is, to have valuable relationships, people who we're close to, our family and friends. Any offers? Okay, clue, within the last 24 hours. Okay, probably within the last 12 hours. About Christian Eriksson, exactly. The the Denmark's team manager, after, actually after uh, Christian Eriksson recovered from, or is in recovery, should I say, awake again after his cardiac arrest on the football field yesterday. Why is that significant? Well, it's significant in some ways because I had a cardiac arrest and I know what it must be like to be in a position, although I wasn't in the public eye, now for Christian Eriksson to have to recover from that. And it can be quite a slow recovery process. Um, But I I think it's significant because of what he says. There come crises in life when suddenly we're faced again with what's really important to us. And it's normally a crisis that makes us most aware of what's really important. And that's what the... Danish coach is saying, the manager is saying, he's basically saying, at this moment, we suddenly become aware we all need people around us who we know love us. That's the most important thing in life. Um, And actually, that's what this uh, letter from Paul to the Philippians is really all about. Uh, Of all the letters, it's the most sort of family-like letter where he reveals his type of relationship with them, which is a relationship of genuine and ongoing love, whether he's present as he was when they first came to Christ or now he's absent as he's in prison, whether he's a beneficiary of their help as they sent gifts to him or he's now sending a message back to them. He obviously genuinely feels close to them and in feeling close to them, he basically talks within that framework of being like a family the family of God. And you may have noticed in the reading that we had at one stage children of God as a phrase. He is our father. We're not only close to him, but we're drawn close to each other by being in Christ together. And it's God's intention that we, the body of Christ, should be that close group of people through thick and thin 
utterly committed to each other to care for each other, come what may. And some of you may never have found that in a church community before and are hoping and praying that this community becomes what you've always wanted. And in the family of God, there will be all sorts of different types of people who will have no other human family. So in Scripture, often it's the, it's the orphans, or it's the widows, or it's the poor, or it's the outcast, or it's the halting and the lame, that are the ones that are called by God into this family of God. Because God knows, because he made us, how critical it is for us all to be in a community of genuine love. And of course, at the heart of the community is Jesus. I was playing golf on Thursday afternoon, um, and uh, as is normally the case, if it's a new player, that person I haven't met before, I'm playing with as it was on Thursday. In the course of a round, you know, we ask a little bit about each other. They discover fairly quickly that I'm, I've been a clergyman, and then they go silent for the next 16 hours. <laughs> uh, anyway, he reveals at some stage that he's from a Greek Orthodox church background, but he's basically agnostic, and he doesn't really know what he believes. But as we're having a drink, at the end of the game, he starts to ask me various questions about what it really means for me that I'm, I was a minister. Did I always think that I was going to be like that? What does it really mean? And I'm able to start talking about a relationship with God rather than just liturgical prayers and religious ritual. And then at one stage he says, but why is there this fixation about Jesus? I wonder what you'd have said to him in reply to that. I found myself talking around all sorts of things, but had I been quick and put two and two together, I'd probably have read to him from Philippians chapter 2 to talk about who, what Jesus was really like. Uh, I think it is actually the second slide I've got, um, rather than the first slide I'm into already. Um, so this is what it said about Jesus, which you've probably already had in a previous sermon, but I thought I'd remind you of it now, that being in very nature God... He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above, that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And basically, I went on to tell this, uh, this guy that, in my understanding, there's never been, and this was a word he used, a messenger from God like him. There's never been a human being who's lived as other-centered as Jesus lived. There's never been a person who uh, has died in the way he died, the innocent for the guilty, by choice. And there's never been a person like him who's been raised from the dead and is still alive today. And um, then I told him one or two stories because he then went on to say, well, you know, if there's really a God, there's probably examples of God at work in people's lives. I can't remember quite his exact word to say that, but that's basically what he was looking for. So I told him one or two stories in the last six months that I've known of people, on the one hand, suddenly 
moving from being interested in occult-like films and experiencing a presence of evil in their home and calling on the name of Jesus, experiencing peace, ringing up the vicar and saying, help, we need to be baptized. Uh, another story I only heard on... Uh, uh, actually, on Thursday morning I'd heard it from another church leader who said that uh, a group of people had gathered around um, uh, somebody who'd been suffering from fibromyalgia, prayed over this person and suddenly all the pain had gone and that she and her husband had now started coming to church and said, tell us about this Jesus. And he said, well, well, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> this is our Jesus. This is the one at the center of the family. This is the one who set the example of how to live purposefully under the lordship of the living God in the kingdom of God, extending the kingdom of God and bringing the good rule of this great God into the lives of other people. And uh, I suppose, I wasn't quite sure whether I was given a title, but I'm really talking today about living like Jesus. This is our fascination. He's at the center and by his spirit, each of us are being changed to become more and more and more and more like him and sometimes I want that and sometimes I'm not quite so focused on it as at other times whereas my wife is utterly focused on it for me all the time because she knows what a difference it would make for her if I were more like Jesus so just flick back to the previous slide if you will for a moment please where it says therefore in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus that's what Paul says. He, here's Jesus. He's the center of it all. We become more like him, which means we have the same mindset as he has in our relationships one with another. This is the family likeness in the church that he's wanting to bring about. The standards are quite high. Flip on, if you will, to now. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. The standards are quite high. <laughs> Do everything without <laughs> grumbling or arguing. <laughs> I can manage a few things sometimes. <laughs> but everything? Blameless? Completely blameless? Completely pure? Uh, then that little phrase in the beginning, so that you may become, that's a relief to me. In other words, it's not instantaneous, it is a process and God is kind and gracious to me as I seek to learn and go through that process. So the, the wonderful thing is that if I choose to cooperate, I discover how utterly God is for me and not against me. And the next slide will pick up another text there. For every disciple, we are called to and enabled to be part of God's great story. God's great story is around his purposes. Notice that, to fulfill his good purpose. Everything that God wants for humanity, every individual ever born onto the face of planet Earth, everything God wants for them is for their good. It's to have the life as God originally intended it to be. 
intended it to be, so much of which has been stolen from us by the enemy. Interestingly, one of the things we talked about on Thursday evening, I talked about with this guy, was the fact that we're living in a world pandemic. And he, he said, well, why is this evil around? What, actually, why is this t terrible thing around? Um, is it because God has sent it to us in order to test us? Well, there you go. Uh, Bex has got all the answers. She's been studying them at Theological College for the last three years. Ask her the answer. But in my simple mind, I thought I'm going to go back to a story that Jesus told. So I told him the story in which he says about seeds growing up along, uh, weeds growing up alongside good seeds in the field. An enemy has done this. And I talked about the reality of the battle that we're involved in in life, generally, personally, in families, in communities. In the net between the nations, we know that there's, a, there's something good and there's something really evil at work in this world, and there's a battle between the two, and the ultimate question is, who is going to win? And that was language he understood. It's a simple story, a profound truth. There's an enemy at work. And part of the lie that the enemy has told to people is that God is against you, and he's bad for you. Whereas what God longs for us to know and experience is he's utterly good to us and he's utterly good for us and all whom we will meet. And what this verse says is that God is at work in us in order to enable us to will, that means to desire and set our desire upon it, and then to act in line with it. Now, that means that if I choose to cooperate, I will discover how utterly powerful he is to enable me, bring about change in my life, and then enable me to act accordingly and pursue the things that, and do the things that really are the blameless and pure things of the church. And you know, the church doesn't have a blameless and an, a pure reputation. So he was born in Cyprus. He talked quite a bit about the Cypriot church, and this is not just true of that church, but it's true of most big denominations that they have loads of money invested in land and it seems to many people that's a rip-off from the present day people living in poverty um, and so he talked about that and then he talked about the priests who were totally incomprehensible because they always spoke in Greek and he never as a kid had a clue what they were talking about but he knew he had to attend church with his parents so you know as it were deception and magic going on as a result of a priestly caste, which you can't understand and doesn't help you in your relationship with God on the one hand, and then apparently you know, money um, mismanagement on the other hand. Not blameless and pure. And God says, if you offer yourself to me, you will discover that I will help you both to desire the things that really belong to me, and then to act individually and corporately as a church in line with those things. Oh God, help me please, help us please. Continue to work in us to will and to act according to your good purposes, we pray. So just over there in the corner a moment ago, um, there was a little chap following the example of another little chap. <laughs> I've no idea how old these kids are. But there was one little boy jumping up and down like this fervently on the matting over there. And there was another little boy 
held by his father, who must have been still learning to walk. In other words, he couldn't stand on his own two feet together. And this little boy, held by his father, was trying to follow the example of the older boy. From the youngest age in life, we follow examples. Our supreme example is Jesus. But actually, present-day examples are very powerful to us when we see people filled with the Spirit of God and living blameless and pure lives. And in this letter, Paul basically points to, not only to Jesus, but to their present-day examples. Um, And uh, as I just put their names up and what he commends about them, what I'd encourage you to think, who are your present-day examples? Who do you look to to think, that's a life that I would like to live? Because that's basically what Paul is saying. These are the lives that these people live, that I would like you all as the community of God to live as well. So he points to Timothy, first of all, and says, talks about Timothy, that he was basically persistence in serving others. He will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone else looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But Timothy has proved himself. This is somebody who over a period of time has demonstrated growth in their life. So initially Timothy has a father-son parenting type of relationship with him. Then a little bit later he has what we might call a pace-setting relationship with him. In other words, setting the example and actually saying to him, follow my example. And then he has more of a partnering example with uh, relationship with him where they work alongside each other as peers. Great model for uh, you know, development of a relationship with a younger believer through from sort of childhood in faith to more mature serving faith. And as a result of that, over time, Timothy is able to say about this one, he's proved himself. I was chatting to a church leader recently, talking about the way in which post-lockdown, some people are returning to church. It's so good to have a full church. And I'm just going to say to anybody watching online, the experience of being together again is great, so come back soon. Um, But he was saying, the problem is we don't have the volunteers that we had previously uh, to do the kids' work and the youth work. The volunteers seem slower to come back. And I've had one or two church leaders say that to me. It's almost like the volunteers have discovered something else to do on a Sunday morning rather than to help in the church services. Uh, uh, Given choice, sometimes other choices then seem preferable. Not so here at St. Saviour's. I'm astonished again this morning to discover 25 people here before the service starts, volunteers still committed to actually enabling others who come to encounter God, whether they be children or whether they be adults in worship. Well done, volunteers. You are proving yourself here. I love the example that you're setting for others to follow. Uh, The next one is Epaphroditus. It says about him that he was prepared to risk his life. He'd actually been used by the Philippian church to bring gifts to Paul in in Philippi. And then in the process of doing that, he'd fallen seriously ill. But it looked as if he overlooked his own sickness in order to continue to help Paul. He risked his life. Um, It's probable that there was a group of Christians around at that time who were literally known by the nickname gamblers because they effectively gambled their life for serving Christ and other people. In other words, when people were sick, 
they didn't worry whether they might catch the sickness or not. They still helped the sick. And of course, years later in the uh, plague, equivalent to the pandemic, in the, the 250, um, Cyprian, the bishop of Carthage at the time, when all the, those who didn't have Christian faith were leaving the city because of the plague and people were dying, he, he himself, led by example, encouraged other Christians to stay in the city to tend the sick and care for the dying. They gambled their life. In other words, effectively saying, I prefer and I choose to serve other people than to save my own life. And I'm going to run that risk. Of course, that's worthy of incredible honor. That's what it says here. Honor people like him. And clapping the NHS, for instance. Suddenly, a group of people who we recognize that they've been prepared to run risks for the sake of others. I don't think they're the only ones. I think I want to applaud people like teachers as well, people like the police officers who have to go into all sorts of difficult situations as a result of this. And there are many others who I haven't mentioned just there. But God honors, and we as his body need to honor those who are prepared to risk their lives. And then finally, Paul says, I myself. Oh, uh, Timothy, people knew of um, as a church leader. Epaphroditus, well, he was sick, and when, once people were sick, actually, they easily get discarded, don't they? They did then in society. They do now, sadly, in society. You know, they're, they're just viewed as weak. They, they belong in the body of Christ. Um, Paul was not one of the poor, the lame, the halting, the outcast. He had been a significant public religious leader, and then he gets converted to faith in Christ. He's as included as everybody else is. And he is in the same process as everybody else is. Moving from a dependency on whom he was by virtue of his own cultural background and privileges it was for him. So that's why, you know, I was this, I was that, I was the other. They were great things. But actually, I count all that now as rubbish for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. Because I know that my, it's my relationship with God is because of what Jesus has done and is doing in my life that I am now who I am and I do what I do and I'm part of God's big love story. It's not because I was born into a particular family or in a particular tribe or had particular money or particular position in religious life. It's simply because of Jesus embracing me with his love that I am now part of God's big love story for his world. So whoever you are, whatever your background here today, and whoever your examples are, whether they be unknowns, and many examples of great Christian loving, living are complete unknowns. Or whether they're people who you see in leadership, or whether they be people who are from a wealthy background that's totally different from yours, or a poor background that's totally different from yours. We're all in the same boat, friends. We're all in the same boat. And in that same boat, this is the significant thing. Patiently persevere. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So I see these little, little um, children on the side here. And I know that amongst us there'll be people who have only recently given their lives to following Jesus. And then there are people like me with gray hairs. <laughs> I've been around for quite a long time. I still need to do exactly the same thing as even the youngest 
disciple of Jesus here, which is continue to work it out with fear and trembling, saying, Lord, here am I. By your spirit, please continue to make me more like Jesus. I cannot do it on my own, Lord. But I do want to become more like him. And when I don't really pursue that, I ask you by your spirit to so work in me that I then want it again. And then act it out in a fresh way. And I encourage everybody to, in a sense, pray a similar prayer for themselves. To say, I choose to continue to work out this salvation with fear and trembling, humility and awe. And this is why uh, we take communion together. Because Jesus is the very center. And this is the moment when we can literally take the bread and the wine inside ourselves. Symbolic of the Holy Spirit coming in. Symbolic of him living within us and transforming us from the inside out. So I'm going to ask the band to come if they will right now. And... um, just, I wonder, I, I, for a moment or two, I wonder whether we'd stand, actually, just to change body posture and to give you all a moment <clears throat> to say, Jesus, this is all about you. And I need, I want you to change me from the inside out. say your moment of re-consecrating yourself even as we remember Jesus complete consecration of himself things um, at the moment about taking communion is that uh, we bring it to you I don't know whether that was historically your practices and saviors before um, lockdown or not but for those in the building we'll come with communion to you, it will only at the moment be the bread rather than the wine as well for, um, because of the restrictions uh, incidentally if you w- w- need to have gluten free bread please indicate to us and we'll bring that to you subsequently But one of the things about now is that we bring it to you. There's wonderful symbolism. It's of Jesus coming amongst the people. At the same time, the symbolism of coming forward in the Anglican church is also very, very powerful because at the table, we're basically saying Jesus is present. 
And if Jesus was present here, and if he were at the front physically, and you wanted to be close to him, what would you do? <laughs> You'd deliberately take steps to the front, wouldn't you? With, and it probably would be with fear and trembling. Because yes, you want it, but you know it would bring change. But that's what we do when we come to communion. We hold out our hands and it's with fear and trembling, but we're saying, please, Lord, because I want you to continue to work in my life to make me more like you. So all those thoughts are in our minds, in our spirits. As we say, the risen Lord is here. His spirit is with us. And open your hearts. We open them to the Lord. And let us give thanks.